With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sky Dragon Slaying, where we bring you the truth on science and current affairs the mainstream would rather you didn't know. I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. As usual, joining me is Canadian astrophysicist Joe Postma. In this episode, we're delighted to have back with us a regular guest, an expert in higher education, Professor Gloria Moss. Uh, she's just published an article on Principia Scientific International titled A New Education System Will Mend a Broken World. And that addresses the decline of education standards in Western society. Now, Gloria argues that in the past, corporate interests such as the Rockefellers built up the education system for their own selfish corporate interests. And um, we're now well past their sell-by date. Uh, we need to start afresh. And Dr. Moss says... At her education level, this can be done by building up a new university. Her growing venture is Truth University, and that's based in the UK, and she's here to detail her rationale for such a venture. Now, Professor Moss is the author of over 70 peer-reviewed journals and conference papers. She's the author of eight books. Her latest is co-authored with Catherine Armitage, entitled Light Bulb Moments and the Power of Critical Thinking, published by Truth University Press. Hi, Gloria. Great to have you back. Hi, John. It's great to be back on. Yeah, um, we have this kind of running problem, don't we, with the education system. It's um, deja vu, isn't it? It's like Groundhog Day. Every time you come on, there's something going on where we have great concerns about corruption. You know, as you pointed out in your article very, very forthrightly, that uh, even at the highest levels of academia, there's outrageous claims of plagiarism and fraud. And, uh, you know, these are meant to be the pillars of academia, Gloria, and uh, they're just as as bad. They're just as scandalous as all these politicians, aren't they? Well, it would appear that um, that is to a great extent the case, yes. And there have been some big scandals rocking academia recently, even... Uh, top, so-called top institutions, such as Stanford in the UK, in the US rather, and uh, also Harvard, uh, the president of Stanford was obliged to step down very recently because he hadn't amended mistakes in a number of peer-reviewed journal articles that he'd written. And a senior academic in the business school at Harvard was likewise obliged, well, sent on gardening leave uh, because, uh, you have to laugh really, uh, the subject of her um, research was honesty and what can encourage honesty. And uh, it, it was found that actually uh, she had actually um, falsified data sets for a number of her articles going all the way back to 2012. And uh, as if that's not bad enough, she co-authored many of her articles with academics from other American in institutions, many so-called top universities, including Harvard. So how deep does the rock go, we might ask? Yeah, and um, the consequences are that people are kind of waking up, and you, you pointed that out. Um, it's quite shocking that um, 
you know, you, in your essay that you pointed out that the, there's something like, um, you know, the, the Bill Gates Foundation, that they fund, you know, just around 500 universities, you know, and the Gates, as we know, the, the Gates uh, Foundation very much has control over the UN. You know, the World Health Organization is pretty much a puppet of Bill Gates's um, pet theories about vaccines and so forth. And uh, it's astonishing, isn't it, that it really goes back to a very small group of these, we call them psychopathics, don't we? That they're, they call we they but can't call them the elite. They, they're just those who just seem to have power. They they seem to spend their entire existence corrupting everything and bending everybody's will to their own you know warped views of, of life. And um, yeah, you pointed you know, out. Um, and so, and sorry, Joe. that when yeah. when funders come into universities, they have a major effect, not least on the research that is created by those institutions. And uh, you could almost say that the outcome of the research will be predetermined by the nature of the funder. And so everything is corrupted with bad money. Um, and, 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 and bad money will not allow freedom of research or indeed freedom of teaching. Sorry, Joe, I think I interrupted you there. That's all right, Gloria. It's so nice to see you again. So mm -hmm. nice to have you on the show again. It's always a great discussion about education and academia and just how corrupt it is and following on from John's comments about it just being so corrupt and the leaders and the elite that we have the so-called elite and they're anything but. They have a lot of money, but that's, you know, hardly a quality. <laughs> Recognized throughout history, that's hardly been a quality of virtue, having a lot of money. No one no one has ever said in all of history that that was a, a, a virtue, wasn't it, that made... Uh, you know, indicated a good personality, a good person. I wanted to, I wanted to help John characterize uh, what these people are. They're parasites, is what they are. They're, they're, they're real parasites in human form. And another way to characterize, I realized just recently, uh, what, what this human form parasite is, is they're rapists. They rape. They make a living by rape. They rape everything. They literally rape, probably behind closed doors, as we all suspect. You know, all these rumors. Uh, but their favorite thing to rape is intellectualism. They they love to rape the mind is what they is their favorite thing to do. They love to violate it. They love to violate the mind. They violate reason. They violate thinking. They violate um, goodness. They just violate everything in the most heinous and disgusting ways, don't they? And so, of course, yeah, what you have then is this uh, ridiculous parasitical research, which is anything but, and these PAL review systems, and, you know, peer review is held up as some sort of gold standard. It's the biggest joke going. It doesn't mean a bloody thing just to have a paper peer reviewed, you know, but then of course they, as the parasite rapist gatekeepers, oh, they love to put that for, put that up as some sort of a gatekeeping standard, right? Oh, if your paper is not peer reviewed, then it's not worth reading, right? Only peer-reviewed papers are worth reading. So it's just a completely ridiculous uh, system, and I am uh, really have grown quite uh, tired uh, of it and uh, and sick of it and kind of just wondering, uh, you know, what do we do uh, to solve this problem? I, I suppose we've had this discussion a long time ago, and I said we need money. We, we need to almost – I mean, it's unfortunate. We don't want to have to live and think like a parasitical mm -hmm. rapist. But we have to, what, what, what have they done? They've cornered the money supply. They've cornered 
who gets to you know have money, who gets the funding, right? And with that power, they have installed their political puppets all over the world. They've installed their stooges through the university and academic systems and the education systems and everywhere, the agricultural systems, the government systems, you know, all of the various departments in government, agriculture, education, uh, city planning, even everything. Uh, man, this sounds pretty black-pilled, but that is the, the situation we're facing, it seems, Gloria. What can we do about any of this? And do you agree with that assessment? You know, are they basically a type of noetic mind rapist in some sense? Well, yes. I mean, strong language. But mm. it, we need strong language to paint the violence that is being perpetrated against intellectualism and truth. I mean, what is at stake here is truth. Uh, and the casualty is truth. And um, what seems to reign supreme in the system that you've described <laughs> is deceit. Uh, we have a system that encourages deception and with it deceit. Uh, I just I just give one example, and I could give so many. Um, and, and when we come to solutions, I'll be talking about Truth University, which has started a publishing press, Truth University Press. And one of the books it's published is this book here, The Dark Side of Academia, How Truth is Suppressed, written by the secret professor. And there's a, a chapter in this book, I could speak for this book, that covers picks up on what you've talked about, Joe, which is the abuse of the peer review journal system. And so I would urge people to, to get a copy of that book, share it with other people, because you might be amazed to see that this peer review journal system, which is held up as a wonderful system that ensures objectivity in knowledge, is anything but in many cases. And uh, just quote one example, uh, which actually isn't in the book. It concerns Andrew Wakefield, Dr. Andrew Wakefield, as he was famous for having stuck his neck out and talked about possible adverse effects of the MMR vaccine. And he did that in a co-authored article that he wrote in 1998 in the Lancet Journal. And, well, <laughs> um, the, it was another medical journal, the British Medical Journal, the BMJ, that accused him of falsifying his data. Um, what was not revealed, which I personally only read recently, um, uh, and I'm inclined to accept this until somebody tells me otherwise, um, what was not revealed was that The Lancet, in other words, the journal, the top journal, we're told, in which he originally published his findings about the ad possible adverse effects of the MMR uh, vaccination, the Lancet in 1998 had commercial agreements with MMR vaccine manufacturers. So we have there a possible conflict of interest not declared. That's just one example to corroborate what you're saying, Jane. And yes, I do think strong language is appropriate. Well, I'd like to interpose uh, something that are very factual because, again, um, you know, our, our background, my, my background and Joe Postman's background is in the climate uh, fraud. And we've been doing that together for 13, 14 years now. And uh, 
One of the most shocking things I ever saw, hard evidence I saw, Gloria, were the, I think, 11 to 20,000 released emails from the um, University of East Anglia's Climatic Research Unit. Uh, they are you know, meant to be one of the leading climate research units in the world, in the most prestigious. And um, the leader of the unit at the time was, um, I think he's maybe still were there, Professor Phil Jones. And um, Phil Jones was a gatekeeper to data, uh, myself and other colleagues who were trying to have an objective view of the so-called claims that the temperatures are rising in inordinately and that humans are, are, are full. We tried to get the raw data from him to prove that the, the thermometer readings in different countries, you know, in Africa and you know, the Far East were all conforming to his um, narrative. Um, but he wouldn't do that. He would not comport, wouldn't comply with the lawful request through freedom of information to such an extent that um, he said that he had so much time and work invested in this uh, narrative that he would he refused to share his data. Again, a criminal intent. And uh, the only reason, the only reason Professor Jones avoided criminal prosecution is that the absurd statute of limitations is six months. And of course, by the time people had gone back and forth, back and forth, trying to jolly him on a bit, uh, that had expired. And the information commissioner's office, the information commissioner's office, who uh, are you know required to oversee all this, said, you know, in effect, that uh, he dodged a bullet. Uh, and again, looking at the hard evidence, there was somebody inside the University of East Anglia, somebody, a researcher, Ian Harry Harris. Now, you know, he's named the guy's named. His name's on the emails. And uh, Ian Harris, uh, an employee of the East, University of East Anglia, Climatic Research Unit, in his email said, I'll, I'll give a quote, I'll get you a quote to show how bad this is. Um, Harris said, what in tarnation is going on? Just how off-beam are these data sets? Unbelievable. Even here, the conventions are not being followed. It's botch after botch after botch. And what he was referring to was the very fact that Professor Phil Jones, as the head honcho, Britain's leading, in effect, lead, Britain's leading climate expert, was getting his team to manipulate data for his own political and personal ends. Now, as you know, these positions at the highest level are very well paid. I'm sure Professor Jones, over his career, he's made well over a million pounds in income from fraud. Now, I've got, I'm not a lawyer, Gloria, I'm not a lawyer, but I work with lawyers and um, I can tell you that uh, there's enough evidence, prima facie evidence, to prosecute these people for, for fraudulent crimes. Um, not only is it them who are benefiting, it's their paymasters, because again, we know that the agenda is to force all of us to go net zero. The whole narrative of climate change is based on an academic fraud. And for many, many years now, over, over a century now, we've been led to believe, the public have been led to believe that the pillars of good education, intellectual rigour, are our universities. And as you pointed out, the most prestigious universities, such as Stanford, are being shown clearly as perhaps the most corrupt out there. You know, they say, um, you know, <laughs> a little bit of power corrupts, but, you know, the amount of money and wealth they've got now, it, they're corrupted absolutely, aren't they? Well, you know, the, there's a lot of evidence uh, to show that, that they're not squeaky clean, shall we say. 
in all respects. And Stanford is the number two in the league table in America, I believe. Um, and so when the president steps down from Stanford, because he hasn't corrected errors in his papers that were brought to, brought to his attention, then we need to be concerned. And, and likewise with the professor of Harvard and, and much else besides, um, uh, you know, we, 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 we can um, um, talk about the problems within the system, uh, which, are, which are absolutely massive. But on a positive side, we are um, here at a new university, Truth University, where we stand for truth, which is the opposite of some of the deception that is coming out of the mainstream system. And uh, one of the things we do is produce a newsletter. So if anybody would like to read some of these scandals that are besetting the world of universities and I hasten to add schools, do take a peep at our website and the two newsletters that we produce so far that are available free of charge and you can subscribe and receive these newsletters and the website to go to, nice and simple, www.truthuniversity.co.uk. Uh, to find Thanks, the Gloria. We're, we're going to have to take a short break. Uh, we're dealing truth on TNT Radio, as you are. This is uh, TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas. I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, May your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Caution. You are about to, about to hear today's news talk and the voice of freedom. That's what this country is all about. TNT Radio. Hi, welcome back. Uh, it's getting a bit excited here. Uh, Gloria, we've got so much information to share. And, and I during the break, you were talking about... Uh, yeah, Susan Crockford, a wonderful uh, hero for exposing mm. the fraud about polar bears. Give us um, your take on the work by Dr. Crockford. Well, um, a word about uh, Dr. Susan Crockford, first of all. She was adjunct professor at the University of Victoria in Canada. And uh, 
she um, um, announced that polar bears, far from declining, were actually increasing in population size. Well, that, <laughs> that wasn't really what the establishment wanted to hear. So uh, she lost her post, I believe, and now she works as an independent and most recently has published a book, uh, which is, um, well, what can I say? Uh, it was published in 2022. The title is The Fallen Icon, Sir David Attenborough and the Walrus Deception. Fascinating title. And what she does in that book is look at the Planet series that David, Sir David Attenborough fronted for the BBC in conjunction with Netflix. Uh, and and that, there was a shocking episode, which many uh, viewers will have seen, in which uh, walruses in uh, a very uh, cold part of Russia are seen huddling at the top of a, a cliff and then some of them falling to their death to the rocks below. And it, it's very shocking um, to see an animal plunging to their death, but the, the effect was exacerbated by the BBC showing this in slow motion, showing the walrus plunging to their death in slow motion. And according to the director of this BBC uh, production, um, well, this showed the sad reality of climate change, she said. And she said it was heartbreaking, and one could almost see tears falling down her cheek. Uh, and Attenborough uh, chimed in to say that we are all living at the frontier of climate change. The reason being, according to them, that this was happening because the ice was melting and uh, they, they lost their usual habitat. Um, and so uh, they couldn't fall out on the beach as they would normally. They had to huddle together on the top of the cliff. That was the story being put out in this documentary. In comes Dr. Susan uh, Crockford, who calmly demolishes that argument with three points. And this is this is our this is where we all have to go. I think certainly where Truth University is going. Our motto is the home of critical thinking. We can demolish deceit with calm and collected critical thinking. Facts, not not rubbishing people's thoughts. Um, as climate deniers or vaccine deniers or COVID deniers, but looking in detail at the evidence, which is what she does. And this is what she says. Sea ice is not a limiting factor. Uh, and in fact, walrus numbers have been increasing in recent years. And she goes on to say that it's, it's possible that the walruses were uh, moving away from the top of the cliff because they were um, in fear of polar bears in the region. She said that in 2017, um, 20 polar bears approached the area and 100 walruses uh, died. And um, in fact, a Russian naturalist, Anatoly Koshnev, uh, wrote in the 1990s that polar bear activity was the principal cause of war's deaths. And it, it seems that in 2019, which was when the uh, Attenborough footage was made, polar bears were actually in the area 
feeding on dead walruses on the seashores. So they could have been the impulse to the walruses fleeing from what they thought was safety on the top of the cliff. Um, and thirdly, as if that's not sufficient, um, she mentions the fact that um, that uh, there was um, overhead footage and that must imply that drones were being used by the BBC team and it could well be that this uh, activity from drones disturbed the walruses and frightened them, leading them to propel themselves off the edge of the cliff. So we've moved a long way by using a bit of critical thinking and looking in, into the problem in some depth. We've come a very long way from the view of the director of the film, or indeed Sir um, Richard Attenborough himself. Um, but of course, we have to consider why this film may have been made. And it was previewed, as you probably know, at a meeting of the WEF. And in attendance was, uh, I believe, Prince William, and who knows who else was there. Um, it, what, what can one say in the face of, uh, of evidence that contradicts the story that is woven into the disarming voices and pictures shown on that production? Well, it's rather comical that they're making it, trying to make a connection between a walrus falling off a cliff and climate change. I mean, is it trying to flee the the heat that that is there, the ice that's not? It just it's just so senseless. But the problem is obviously, uh, how do they get away with this? And they have uh, an efficient propaganda system, don't they? Uh, the news media is totally in line with uh, this sort of stuff. Uh, you know, the, all, all of the major media outlets. Uh, to, are totally falling in line with this stuff, and it's uh, it's comical. And uh, they love to run the sensational and completely baseless, you know, logically baseless, totally irrational, but highly emotional and completely void of reason uh, narrative, don't they? And they simply get away with it. It's just it's a real well, problem, isn't it? It's a real problem. But do they get away with it? Because when we have the voice of reason speaking, Aka. Dr. Susan Crockford, they haven't really got away with it. And here we're talking about it on air today. And uh, I'll, we hope that the viewers will spread the news far and wide. But, but Dr. Crockford says something really interesting. She said that um, the WEF wants to assume control of our all aspects of our lives, financial, political, societal. And in order to achieve their aim, they need emergencies. <laughs> and the more fearful these emergencies are, the better. Hence the, the picture, the very emotive picture of the walrus plunging to their death. And she goes on to say that fear is best created in the absence of observable fact. So the climate crisis, she says, is a great vehicle because we cannot easily observe the effects that they talk about of CO2, CO2, and we cannot mm. easy, easily observe the effects of global warming. Uh, personally, I think that's a very brilliant observation on her part. That is but, brilliant, and it, it really just identifies it as a religion, doesn't it? This, this is how religions basically operate. You know, you might make a case for religion, but basically that's the idea. Mm -hmm. Threaten you with something that you cannot sense or see. 
or touch, mm. but uh, convince you that, oh, no, it's quite real and it's going to be quite mm. bad for you. Just listen to us. It's a tired old scheme, isn't it? But oh, um, just, it's a tired old scheme, in. but we can fight back with programs like this and knowledge. Sorry, John. Absolutely. Yeah, I just want to jump in because it's so poignant that the idea that the walrus was used there as kind of the uh, iconic image when 20 years ago it was the polar bear. And uh, as Susan Crockford will tell anybody, uh, the reason why the polar bear is no longer the iconic symbol of uh, global warming and, and, the, and the melting of the ice caps is because the population of polar bears has grown from around 5,000 in 1998 to 25,000 today. So it's a massive increase. And she identified the reason. The reason why it's been a massive increase in the polar bear population is because there were more restrictions on hunting. So the small numbers of polar bears were just to do with, with management, you know, conservation. So again, all of us would argue, those of us who live in the wealthier countries, we tend to be more um, mindful of conservation. Those developing countries don't prioritize conservation. So again, it kind of makes the point that uh, when we get together, when we use data and facts responsibly, we can coordinate efforts to, to do the best for, for nature. We work in harmony with nature. I think any good farmer will tell you that you don't want to destroy your habitat. You want to make sure that you nurture it. And uh, this is something that the doomsayers forget. They, they tend to denigrate human ingenuity and denigrate uh, human good intentions because all of us, you know, whether we're the poorer or richer, like the idea of uh, establishing a, a community where everybody can be a stakeholder and benefit. I think the problem is with the narrative of the ultra-rich, we don't feel like we're stakeholders anymore. We feel like we're um, the underclass. We feel like we're the useless eaters. And uh, with that kind of mindset, they really are pitting us against them. And uh, they're not that smart because, again, the game is unraveling. You know, we are tuning in to their motives. We're tuning into their underlying uh, philosophy, which is Malthusianism. Anybody who doesn't know what Malthusian stands, stands for, it stands for limits to growth. The limit to growth is, some again, an ideology. Um, it's a religion. There's no nothing to back it up in science. All we've seen for the last 50 to 100 years is exponential growth and rise in standards of living. We don't see that uh, there's a limit. You know, anybody, any economist, anybody who studies how we've used technology can see that uh, we don't have famines anymore. Famines are a thing of the past. You know, we look at healthcare, but, you know, mortality rates, they, they were declining and, and quality of life is rising everywhere where you have a, a kind of system that allows people to use ingenuity, entrepreneurship and growth. Uh, again, you know, it's about good, good stewardship, isn't it, Gloria? It is. And it's about uh, shrewd thinking, careful thinking, taking into account um, all the elements of a, of a problem. And, and Einstein famously said that um, we should really be spending most of our time on examining the problem and that coming up with a solution is really the very last thing that we should be doing, that the solution should actually be propped up on an extraordinary amount of careful thinking, which I think is what you're talking about with the stewardship there. Mm. And that careful thinking uh, is, is not being evidenced, for example, in, in the documentary where um, a single cause is being uh, adduced uh, to explain why the 
walrus is tumbling to its death. There is no attempt to look at the multiplicity of factors that could be underpinning that situation. So it's shallow thinking. Mm. Um, and so we can restore sanity to our world at a point of crisis, I would say, we're at now. Um, we can restore sanity through the application of careful, critical thinking, absolutely. And critical thinking would lead us to truth. And I'd just like to read a couple of quotes from um, worthy people of the past. Uh, the first is the playwright Ben Jonson back in the 16th century, and who said that without truth, all the actions of mankind are craft, malice. Uh, so yes, if we don't have truth about what's happening, whether it's uh, health-related or climate-related, what will unfold is malice following his lead. And uh, taking a more positive line, we could look at the British philosopher John Locke, who said that to love truth for truth's sake is the principal part of human perfection in this world. I rather like that. And he goes on to say that uh, the search for truth is the seed plot of all other virtues. And so, yes, if we follow this shallow thinking, uh, deceitful way of thinking, it will lead us in the way of malice and negativity. If we follow truth and careful thinking, as you've said, John, then the sky's the limit. Mm. So that's where our solution lies, I think. And it's yeah, we... not difficult to achieve. Exactly that. And, and I think, again, this is why we um, advocate for the traditional scientific method over at Principia Scientific International. One one thing we've been very good at is um, making people realize that there is a, a bona fide um, methodology to validating uh, anybody's th hypothesis. And one of the things you do is you have to have truth. You have to have transparency. And uh, the scientific method tells us that uh, you share data. You know, you, you have an objective approach and uh, you avoid bias by making sure that you involve other people. Um, and we like the idea of, of doing that. You know, one of the things we've always said is uh, there's no such thing as secret science. The secret science in, itself, in and of itself is actually corruption. It, it's not uh, in itself of any true value. And um, you made a good point. And, and I want to talk about, um, you know, we started off the top of the show talking about those who suffer you know, for their for their beliefs in in upholding a scientific method, and uh, people like you said, Susan Crockford lost her position in academia, and, and my co-host Joe, Joe Posma again, he he too lost his position in academia for standing up for truth. Um, you know, we do pay the price. You know, those are on our side of of the argument. Those who want to uphold truth, we are the martyrs. You know, being sacrificed. You know, for for that. Um, you know noble cause uh, and until we can have some kind of a major breakthrough I, I i'm kind of dreading to think what might happen and i think i hope personally the major breakthrough would have been um the law you know using the court system we, we can see currently now the international court of justice um topically with the issue in gaza very astute uh, barristers lawyers presenting their case to the icj from south africa and ireland laying out the reasons why Israel is committing genocide. These are hard and fast 
numbers. Shining a light on the data is how you convince the masses. And as you know, the the idea of, of going into court and lying, it, it, the consequence is, you know, the, the proximity to the court make, makes that you are you're going to face extreme legal penalties if you lie. Um, in academia, you don't have that, Gloria. We, we have this kind of uh, two types of fraud, don't we? We have academic fraud, which is um, naughty. And we have criminal fraud, which, again, you get prosecuted for. It's um, it's uh, not very good for academics who rely on that, to, you know, on a nod and a wink to uh, you know, manipulate data. But um, we'll get back to this in a short while, Gloria. This is TNT Radio. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future with nutritious food to eat. A chance to learn, to get an education, and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more, so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. You are loved. You are valued. You are resilient. You got this. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides at aarp.org slash caregiver. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Yeah, during the break, uh, we're talking off camera with Gloria about the um, dilemma we're in and... um, you know, what we've pointed out, the three of us, all, all three of us here today, we've all worked in academia um, to varying degrees. We we know uh, the root of the problem. Academia is actually insulated from legal requirements of truth. Um, and one thing I would point out, most people are not aware of this, but um, if you're a climate scientist and your work is used by the United Nations, you actually get granted immunity from prosecution. I, I have to keep reminding myself, I thought it was just a vaccine creator's Big Pharma, who are immune from prosecution. It's the only business model that uh, is protected from prosecution. But no, apparently it's uh, turns out if you're a climate scientist and your work is approved by the UN, that is a kind of a get out of jail free card, Gloria, that uh, again, the privileges of being an academia, it's, it's a nonsense, isn't it? Well, it is. And uh, I mean, we could be talking for hours on the problems within the system. Uh but, but but I think maybe it's helpful to focus on what we could be doing, because, as you said, a lot of people are seeing through increasingly um, a lot of the deceit that's being thrown at us on, on all counts, you know, whether it's connected with the fake climate change agenda or or health. I mean, we haven't talked about um, the, the COVID uh, pandemic, have we, at this point? But yeah. Um, 
uh, another remarkable um, person um, in um, in Canada, um, ferreted out freedom of information uh, requests that she put in herself and others too to find out about the isolates of the Kovsar II um, virus. And uh, well, what she found, well, on her website, Christine Murray, you can find a uh, hundred uh, references to a hundred freedom of information requests across the world, which resulted in no information coming back. So if, if we take the US, for example, uh, the CDC said that they had no record of any isolate. If you take the UK, um, uh, the health and safety executive had no record. The prime minister's office had no record. Uh, it, it just goes on and on and on. I have got a list of if I could find it, um, of all the many organizations, at least a hundred of them worldwide, who said that they had no record whatsoever of the isolates of this mm -hmm. virus for which they were putting society globally in lockdown. Mm -hmm. Here's my list. Um, um, it includes in uh, the US, the CDC, the Department of Health and Human Services, Washington, D.C. Department of Health, U.S. Department of Labor, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, um, Fauci's National In Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, the NIAID, mm. and uh, uh, the National Institute of Health. In the U.K., Imperial College, which we know established the statistics that told us what a terrible thing this would be, statistics mm -hmm. that were never borne out by reality, uh, Public Health Wales, Public Health England, the regulatory body for Britain, the MHRA, had no record either of the isolates of SARS-CoV-2 virus. In Canada, Health Canada had no record. Um, the Public Health Agency of Canada, the National Research Council of Canada had no record, and neither did Brazil's Health Regulatory Agency. So we go back to what Susan Crockford said about fear-mongering, mm. particularly using something that isn't visible and that doesn't appear to exist according to these freedom of information requests. And so, yes, this is negative, but, but we're here today and we're here to talk about the difference, the change that we can make. And I believe that the change we can make is in our hands. When I say mm. our hands, I mean in the hands of the viewers, their friends, their families. We need all to come together in the crisis that we're facing to create something better. Yeah, and we I are agree. many. We can yeah, do exactly it. exactly that. We can. Um, I want to um, emphasize, I don't normally do self-promotion, but you hit, you hit the nail on the head when you talked about the lack of a gold standard for the for the SARS-CoV-2. And um, again, this is a subject, a topic very close to my heart. I spent the last three years working with uh, very dedicated virologists and scientists, medical professionals, 
um, who wanted to expose this very issue that there is no such thing as a gold standard. There, there is no isolation of the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine uh, uh, virus. Sorry. Um, and what we did, again, I, I'm not promoting myself. I, I tend to avoid it. But uh, again, I co-authored with, with my colleagues, um, Dr. Susan, sorry, Dr. Judy, Judy Wileyman and um, Dr. Saeed Qureshi. We wrote a book uh, earlier this year called Slaying the Virus and Vaccine Dragon. And um, anybody who knows anything about uh, Dr. Julie Wileyman, she's Australia's leading expert on vaccine injury. And um, Dr. Saeed Qureshi, he's a senior scientist with Health Canada. He's a, a bench scientist. Literally, he does testing on vaccines. And um, he said he has never seen any evidence whatsoever that there is proof of the existence of a virus for, for, the, for the pandemic. In effect, his argument is it's more likely than not that the pandemic was about influenza and bad colds. Coronavirus literally is a bad cold. <laughs> so again, we've argued this, you know, we've argued for three years and, and it's coming out bit by bit, Gloria. But again, you know, we need Truth University, as you say, as a publishing hub. We need other organizations to come together. Um, we are at the moment still fairly fragmented. Uh, our forum at the moment here is TNT Radio. Again, we, the wonderful creation of TNT Radio by Mike Ryan and Jennifer Squires is a testament to the fact that there are those in related fields in, in, in broadcasting and publishing who do support what we're saying. We need a diverse skill set, skill sets, um, not just in terms of you in academia, but in marketing, in um, entrepreneurship, in, in fundraising. And uh, again, until we build a cohesive team of diverse experts, Gloria, we are, as you know, quite often the lone wolves. We're, we're shouting it or you know, saying things, you know, to the wind. You know, those of us who, who are fortunate to have, have a foothold in broadcasting, we can hopefully, you know, bit by bit, get the message across. And uh, you've been on the show quite a few times now, and every time you come on, we kind of repeat the same message. We are saying to people out there who are we would call them altruistic they may be philanthropists but you know please come forward because there are worthy people like, like your good self who have not a profit motive you know your, your motive genuinely is for truth there's a moral imperative here that uh, those those in society who benefit from you know innovation and who make great wealth more often than not, if they have a conscience, want to put that money back in to, to worthy causes. And, uh, well, you know, definitely TNT is a very worthy cause, but true University I, also is. Go, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, I mean, that's just so right, John. And, you know, we had a, a guest last week, uh, Dave Farina, Professor Dave, you know, and he said that, no, it just comes down to profit motive. Everyone only has a profit motive. You know, I really took quite offense to that because you and I aren't in this for profit motive. This has costed us. It's costed me my career. You know, I'm at... Well, wit's end, you know, as, as far as that goes, you know, it hasn't been good for you. It hasn't been good for any of us. No, there are good people out there. Like you said, there are moral good people out, out there who are trying to stand up for truth, you know, as Gloria is as well, you know. And, um, yeah, good good point, John, right? This isn't just about a profit motive for us. We do actually, you know, stand for truth and goodness and the form of the good, as Plato defined it, you know. And, uh yeah. Um, we need uh, to coalesce and uh, get get the truth out there, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And I would uh, add, it's about truth, but it's getting yeah. to the point that it's also about survival. Mm. And um, 
if we don't do something, then the climate change and whatever may be, may be coming down the line, health-wise, uh, we'll, we'll put an end to humanity. Uh, and that may sound dramatic, but uh, I've been um, uh, reading through a, a draft of a new book that we're going to publish. It's by Eve Gilmore, and it's a critical uh, thinker's guide to health. And what she describes, well, is is quite horrific. That the 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 move to um, the climate change moves are vilifying the eating of meat, which she said accounts for only two point two percent of CO two emissions. Even assuming you thought those were important, they're of negligible uh, quantity, and. If we uh, remove cattle from our fields, then we're much worse off because the fields are not fertilized and a lot of the land would be left as wasteland because a lot of grassland cannot be used for farming purposes. So we'd lose food. We'd, uh, I mean, the bottom line is we'd be faced with famine. Uh, and second to that is, according to her, and she's a, a natural health practitioner, and this is a bit controversial, uh, but uh, according to her, uh, meat is more nutritious than a, a purely plant-based diet. It's richer in amino acids, minerals, vitamins, and um, is more bioavailable than the equivalent in, in plants. And so the long and the short of it is that um, one of the effects of the climate change agenda is to shut down uh, meat farming, and this will have a horrific impact on food production. We've already seen in Sri Lanka in 2021 the effects that the government's uh, attempts there to remove fertilizers had. It, it, it resulted in mass protests and actually the exodus of the uh, president and prime minister. So that was yeah. good. And then, of course, there's everything that's going on in Holland, uh, where they, the government has been using the argument about nitrogen, yeah. uh, nitrogen oxide um, as, as a weapon with which to close down farms. And again, we've seen strong reaction in Holland back to the people again. They have said no. They're not having this. They don't want their sh farms shut down. Um, and, and the government in Holland was threatening um, to stop a lot of construction building, houses, roads, airport runways, on the, on the grounds that building them would release nitrogen oxide into the atmosphere. And so in both cases, both the case of Sri Lanka and the case of Holland, we saw moves by the government held up, in, in the case of Sri Lanka, thwarted by public reaction. And so it is here, I think, with uh, truth that we, we can construct, and we need to, desperately need to construct a better mm. education system. I mean, it's, uh, frankly, it's not hard to construct something better than what we have now. And, and that no. needs to happen at higher education level, universities, but also at schools. And I could say, if we have time, something about the research that I undertook, looking at current day 
school textbooks or learning resources because I was horrified by what I found in those school textbooks. And uh, it led me to believe that actually we can't have a decent education system and still, until we actually create some new learning resources for primary and secondary schools. And my goodness, how exciting that would be. Um, would be so exciting. I would love to do something like that myself. I've, I've dreamed about that for over a decade now. Yeah, it'd ah, be so well, excellent. Again, we need money to do this. But can I just give you a glimpse into some of the textbooks? What is in some of the textbooks currently in classrooms? And by the way, the thing that prompted me to look at textbooks was a surprise event. I was helping somebody at uh, one of the so-called top universities in Britain um, with uh, some some French for a subsidiary uh, course. And uh, my first degree was in French, so I was delighted to help and maybe uh, brush up my somewhat rusty French. So along I went, and as the weeks unfolded, I looked at the textbook that was being used at this university. Uh, and it's actually the number one in the world, according to the league tables. And what was I finding? That in French, of course, it was telling us that uh, we could all um, own nothing and be happy. <laughs> this message was repeated over and over again in this French textbook. And it was saying that we didn't need to own anything. We could rent everything, bikes, homes, you name it. So it's pretty clear what this textbook was doing, would you say? It's downloading World Economic Forum agendas to a young audience. Vulnerable I back you up on that. I totally back you up on that. I, I, I taught a classroom teacher for over 15 years, Gloria taught high school uh, science and many other subjects in English schools in Wales as well. And uh, Again, I, I couldn't bear it anymore. Teaching the greenhouse gas theory, utter nonsense. We're talking about carbon footprint, utter nonsense. And uh, just to um, throw in a few, bit more information, people don't seem to realise there's a nexus of, of, of evil. The connection goes all the way to um, Ghislaine Maxwell and Jeffrey Epstein, believe it or not. Um, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell, uh, a tycoon in the UK, a newspaper tycoon, um, he got into the very lucrative business of academic press publishing and um yeah i wanted to just make the point that uh, the maxwell publishing syndicate uh, the whole point of that um, robert maxwell has got uh, proven links to mossad proven links to what's going on now in israel with uh, the zionist movement and uh, robert maxwell's ability to um, work with people behind the scenes enabled him to form pergamon press an oxford-based publishing company um you know, and literally thousands of publications and uh, also linked to Elsevier. These corporations that are set up with the veil of, of integrity, the veil of being academic, but they're not. And it's shocking, Gloria. So, you know, what, what, what I've, got to actually, I've got to actually just round it off now, Gloria. We're running out of time. I hate to, oh. to, you know, to bring it to a close. Oh, but, goodness, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah, I just want to say thank you for being on the show, Gloria. It's, it's, we don't have enough time. The hour goes so quickly, yeah. but just could you mention quickly, the cloud shout out to your links? Just mention your links, please, before we go. Yeah, well, because we need to um, um, get Truth University um, really, really going uh, with a younger generation, or older people who want to learn. And in order yeah. to create, got to cut you off, Gloria. Sorry about that. We, we have just a, ran out of we time. Have a Such crowdfunding link. 
please read thank our you Gloria article. pleasure to have you on TNT Radio <laughs> oh.